Hello, my name is Paul Ryan and I am the founder of GP Consult. I work as both a pharmacist and as a GP and I'm passionate about clinical pharmacology and therapeutics. I really enjoy making international guidelines relevant to those of us in primary care. So this is the third uh, podcast of four uh, that will be dedicated to the obesity management in primary care. Um, in this podcast, I'm going to mainly discuss the role of the GP in weight management. So GPs can be afraid that it will harm relations with the patient if they raise the issue of um, obesity or over or, 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 of, of patients being overweight. But there was a study done about six years ago now at this stage, published in the BMJ, that states that patients wanted their GP to be involved in weight management, um, and uh, which 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 so patients want us to uh, to to discuss um, weight management with them. Every every GP has their own way of um, bringing uh, the, uh, bringing uh, bringing up the conversation about uh, obesity or patients being overweight. I tend to ask patients, uh, straight, if, but you know, if they're in with if another uh, uh, re- in for another reason in our practice, and if I just might say to them, look, do you see yourself as healthy or unhealthy? Uh, and if they say that they're uh, unhealthy, I just ask them why, and I just let the let the conversation go. Then you know that if they do bring up the issue of weight. Um, and then if they do bring it up, I'd say that do they want to talk about their weight? Um, and then if they do discuss their weight, you know, what difference would weight loss then make to their life? So a lot of times then they might open up and say they can run around with their grandkids or they can breathe easier or kind of wear more fashionable clothing and that. And these are the things that motivate people. Um, approach in that if their HbA1c goes up, I ask them where do they think the sugar has come from in their diet, um, because HbA1c indicates how much sugar that they've taken in their diet in the previous three months. So I explain, well, you know, where is the sugar coming from? And I find that it underscores the idea that sugar is actually bad for people with type 2 diabetes. So, and also just to kind of motivate patients, I say that, look, if they lose, you know, up to 10% of body weight, they're more likely to get drug-free remission from diabetes. And this has been proven by Prof. Roy Taylor uh, from the Newcastle University. So I suppose that's how to bring up the conversation. And then if the patient does want to, you know, be examined for the purposes of obesity management, and there's three main things, is uh, measure the BMI, the waist circumference, and then discuss the obesity-related health risks. So we know that BMI is a measure of how big we are, not necessarily how healthy we are. So it may not correlate with metabolic disease. It does not indicate the amount of fatty tissue we have or the distribution of fatty tissue. So you could have a patient, obese patient, who has a good diet uh, and exercise daily with a BMI of 32. Or else you could have a, a patient with a BMI of 26 who smokes, who has blood pressure and type 2 diabetes. So, so the most important aspect is actually health uh, rather than weight. So the second thing to look for on exam is waist circumference. So if the patient has a BMI between 25 and 35, and you do that, just uh, measure the waist circumference just above the iliac crests um, with the patient uh, min- uh, at minimal inspiration. This reflects the visceral adipocity, 
um, and we know that there's an increased cardiovascular disease um, uh, versus uh, subcutaneous adiposity. Um, we know that a, patient, a man with a waistline of 37 inches or more um, uh, or 94 centimetres or women with uh, waist circumference of 31.4 inches or 80 centimetre has got more visceral adiposity. The third thing uh, we look for is we measure obesity-related health risks. So I divide this into bloods, blood pressure, and then screening for depression. So fasting glucose, lipids, HbA1c, and LFTs, looking in particular at the ALT, um, which can signify non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Uh, also do blood pressure. And then screening for depression, because depression can be uh, more prevalent in people with obesity. Um, so screen for depression just to remind ourselves in the last four weeks have they bothered have they been bothered by feeling down or depressed or have they been bothered by having little interest or pleasure in doing things so and what are we actually trying to achieve so when the patient is in front of us I suppose just to discuss with patient we aim to improve health and functionality rather than thinness so we aim to gain health rather than lose kilograms um, diet and exercise may help reduce non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, type 2 diabetes and hypertension. So that's, we focus on diet and exercise. We advise the patient it's not possible to predict who will actually respond to the diet and exercise or the pharmacological therapies. Um, it's not the motivated patient who will lose weight because motivation cannot control your hypothalamus which dictates your, your, um, your hunger, sends out hunger signals and satiety signals. Um, obesity, just remember, is a chronic relapsing condition, so a lot of patients will need multiple attempts. So just to discuss physical activity, this helps to maintain weight loss. So you encourage less TV and screens, 30 minutes of at least a moderate intensity, five days a week or more. You know, um, the moderate intensity being, you know, causing the patient to have increased short breath and feeling warmer and increased pulse. And this can be split into three 10-minute sessions. So... Examples include brisk walking, cycling, swimming, stair climbing, or 10,000 steps. So even if a patient is not losing weight, the exercise reduces risk of coronary artery disease, stroke, cancer, and type 2 diabetes. Weight is not the most important aspect. The most important aspect is health. Now, just to talk about 5% weight loss. So 5% weight loss, um, uh, patients often aim for this. Okay, if it's not attained, then it affects their, you know, the weight loss maintenance. It can lead to relapse uh, or, you know, dissatisfaction. But the issue is, is that weight loss is minimal with f physical activity alone. But if you do physical activity, body composition improves. So it increases your muscles, uh, uh, your muscle to, to fat ratio. 5% weight loss has substantial health benefits, and that was shown in a study published in Lancet six, uh, six years ago. So you emphasize the health benefit rather than the cosmetic benefit of weight loss. So those, I suppose, and it also, in the same study, it showed those who successfully maintained the weight loss engaged regularly in one hour of physical activity a day. They consumed a low-calorie, low-fat diet. They eat, uh, they had breakfast regularly. They self-monitored their weight and they maintained consistent eating patterns during the week and at weekends. So that brings me to the end of today's podcast. Um, I hope you found it beneficial, and I'm looking forward to delivering my next podcast. Music